We named this house after Loretta Garland. Loretta was living in the house on Poplar with her house. teenage son, and um, she left for the weekend to go be with her daughter while she had her baby. And they were sitting up at night talking after the baby was born. And she had a stroke and died. She was 52 years old. Mm -hmm. She was just the most wonderful mother, just suffering terribly because she was homeless. She had worked at the um, Tupperware factory in Covington. And she said, I was there 20 years and went to work one day and the door was locked. Mm -hmm. That was it. Nothing. No severance. Nothing. Just the door was locked. But anyway, she, she died right there on the spot in front of her daughter. Um, so I said to the board when she died, I said, our second house is going to be named after Loretta. She was a, just an unbelievable mother. So making it through homelessness. So. Well, hello again, Memphis, and welcome to Storyboard 30. Storyboard 30 is taken right out of the pages of Storyboard Memphis, the nonprofit publication that takes you behind the scenes in local arts, community, and culture. And I am Mark Fleischer, your host for Storyboard 30. For this episode, we are recording in Midtown at one of the three local homes of Dorothy Dayhouse, which provides temporary housing and support services for homeless families in Memphis. Dorothy Dayhouse is named for the 20th century journalist and social activist Dorothy Day, who dedicated her life fighting to help the poor, for peace, and for upholding the dignity of human life overall. From her birthplace in Brooklyn, to her childhood in San Francisco, to her early life in Chicago, Dorothy Day was a servant of God, and in her words, worked to bring about the kind of society where it is easier to be good. Today there are more than 245 houses worldwide modeled after the example of Dorothy Day. They survive on volunteers and donations. And these houses provide temporary housing, support resources, and needed relief for homeless families. For this show, we sat down with Sister Maureen Greiner, Executive Director of Memphis's Dorothy Day House, at the dining room table of Loretta's House, one of the three homes in Midtown Memphis. Uh, so we're sitting today with Sister Maureen Greiner. She is the Executive Director of Dorothy Day House, which, uh, and we're at one of the houses today at the Loretta House at 1178 Peabody in Midtown. So, uh, Sister Maureen, welcome to Storyboard 30 and welcome to your dining room table. <laughs> I'm very glad to be here with you today. Thank you for sitting with me. So, you are Executive Director. I am. Here at Dorothy Day House. For this audience, a lot of folks don't know about Dorothy Day House, don't know of its, of its existence. Tell me, what, what is it about? Sure. Well, first of all, the Dorothy Day House has been in existence really since 2006. We opened in 2006. We actually began formulating the idea in about 2003. Um, there was a group of people in 2003 who wanted to learn about Dorothy Day the woman herself. And at that time, I was responsible for an educational program where I had money to bring people in to talk about various and sundry spiritual leaders. Mm -hmm. And um, so I brought in a gentleman from Milwaukee who had worked with Dorothy Day, who had opened the Dorothy Day House in Milwaukee. And he spent a weekend here in Memphis with about 30 of us, uh, talked about her, her charism, just what it was like to work with Dorothy Day. And anybody who's ever read much about Dorothy Day knows that when you finish encountering her for the first time, it's almost impossible not to do something for the poor. Yeah. She was such a strong advocate for the poor. And one of her famous sayings is, the mystery of the poor is this, they are Jesus, and what you do for them, you do for him. It comes right out of the gospel, but yeah. once you hear it in those stark terms, uh, you really figure you need to do something. Yeah. So about 15 of us then finished that. We, After that workshop, there were about 15 who wanted to do something really concrete. 
We talked about a soup kitchen and a clothes closet and educational offerings and all kinds of things. And in the process, I was talking to people in the city about the homeless population. And it was then that we discovered that if you're homeless in Memphis, at least at that time, um, husbands and wives cannot stay together, could not stay together. Um, teenage boys were not accepted in any shelter. And fathers who were responsible for their children, single fathers, also were having a terrible time getting help. Yeah. So we decided that was a way that we could bring all of those ministries together. We could provide clothing and we could provide food and we could provide shelter if we focused on keeping homeless families together. So yeah. that's what we've been doing since May of 2006 when we opened our first house. Right. And you opened your first house right here across the street? No, 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 not across the street. 1429 Poplar has been our home from the very beginning. Okay. Uh, and we really, we bought that house. It had been a daycare. We did some really minimal renovation to it. Um, had to do some things to meet city code, but then we were able to open in May of 2006. And that was our only house until May of 2018 mm -hmm. when we opened this house and then January of 2020 when we opened our third house on Peabody. Yeah. So I think it goes without saying that, you know, like many cities of our size and across the country, um, and particularly here in Memphis, that we do have a homelessness issue. But this is specific, as you said, to homeless families. And when we think about uh, the issues of the homeless, um, we sometimes forget as a society that when it comes to families there's challenges there are with regard to housing so this is unique it really. is yeah and i think um so many people have stereotypes of the homeless mm -hmm. and the minute you mention homeless their minds go straight to the stereotypes right so we're we're also trying to make people aware that these are ordinary families who have just hit a bad spot in life they've They've had a car wreck that made them lose their job. They've had um, medical bills that wiped them out. They've had a house fire. They've been kind of abandoned by their family members. There's a zillion reasons you can become homeless yeah. uh, as a family. And if people don't have a support system, it's very, very difficult um, to make it through life without, without a support system. Yeah. As we've been through this pandemic period that we're I don't even like to say anymore that we're coming out of it sure. because we're still in it um, the, the the issue of homelessness has not only been exacerbated but I think it's really to I hate to use even this term but it's hit home with many it families has. in a very real way they say yeah. over 50 percent of Americans are now living paycheck to paycheck yeah. so it's Although we don't like to think about it, it's most families are not far away from homelessness. It could happen very easily with one disaster would wipe most families out. Yeah, and unfortunately, we've seen many of those in the last couple That's of right. years, last two and a half years. I think most people are surprised when they hear of the plight of homeless families. Um, I've been telling the story now for 16, 17 years, and my experience has been that in all those years and all the hundreds of times that I've told the story, I've probably met two people who really don't care, mm -hmm. who really yeah. don't want to hear the story. They don't want to know about it. Yeah. Almost, I would say, 99.9% .9 of people, when they hear the plight of homeless families, they automatically are drawn into it and want to do something now, some people may be able to give financially, some people give stuff, some people give encouragement, um, but everybody seems to want to do something. They're just as a, I've always said, most Memphians want to do something about homelessness. They just don't know what to do. And right. so we're, yeah. we're presenting them a very real option of what they can do to help homeless families. Yeah. Now, when we say Dorothy Day House. It's really now three, three houses. houses. So you're actually housing eight families at a time. Okay. Eight families across the three 
Yes. Homes. Okay. Our our approach to housing homeless families is very different from other shelters in the city. Um, Dorothy Day herself really believed in personalism, in reaching people where they were, mm -hmm. and um, she always saw the poor with great dignity and took care of them with great care and sacrificed herself in order to take care of people who didn't have much. Mm -hmm. So. When we began talking about opening the Dorothy Day House, as far back as I can remember, we, we said it's going to be just a regular house where we invite homeless families to come live while they get back on their feet. Mm -hmm. So um, we, we did an interview last week with one of our former residents and she said, you know, when I came into this place, I looked around and I thought, this can't be a shelter, this is a home. Mm -hmm. And we really, that's what we want. We want people to see it as a home. We want the children especially to not be traumatized by being at the Dorothy Day House, but to see this as, um, as a special place where they're being cared for by people who love them. So we do everything possible to stay away from an institutional look. Yeah. Um, they do their own laundry, their own cooking, their own cleaning, their own child care. We try to stay out of their family life as much as we can mm -hmm. and basically provide the support that they need to get back on their feet again. Yeah. So uh, they need jobs, you know, they need school uniforms, they need shoes, they need whatever. Uh, and we're here to provide that for them while they work on getting life back to a manageable state again. Yeah. Uh you know, I have so many questions. Um, one is uh, something basic: is is how how large are some of these families? I mean, probably the largest we've had was five children and two adults. Mm -hmm. That's about the most we can take in one of our rooms. Uh, in each house, the families share the living room, dining room, kitchen, playroom, and then upstairs in each house we have family bedrooms so in one bedroom we might have seven beds yeah. uh, we might have in another house we might just have a room with three beds so we take families of different sizes and and makeups but um, I think the largest we've ever had is is seven in a family yeah we have to be a little bit careful when we first opened this house we had lined up the three families we were going to take uh, the very first week. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I thought, gosh, we've got five children in that family and four kids in that family, that's nine, and we've got four kids in that family, that's 13 kids. We've got 13 kids and three adults. I don't think so, <laughs> I think we're better back. So we had to back up a little bit. We, mm -hmm. have, we have space. But you know you have to be careful that you don't overload the system, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's hard for people to live with people they don't know and didn't choose. Yeah. So we always have to just be careful that we respect their individuality and you know their sense of privacy as well. Yeah. At the same time, though, I can uh, I, I I'm imagining this, but I I would imagine that there is a sense of community that develops fairly quickly, I would guess. Yeah. Usually there is. Yeah. Occasionally there's not. Uh -huh. Occasionally families don't get along yeah. and it becomes difficult, but for the most part they do. And they, um, because they're sharing the same trauma, they, they tend to rely on each other a lot. So, yeah. and we're, that's fine with us. We, we always say to the families, we'll never talk to anybody about your story. That's mm -hmm. your story. And if you want to share it, with others in the house, that's fine. We yeah. will never share your story with anybody else. Yeah. Um, so you, you know you can't be identified by that story. Right. Well, you used a key phrase uh, based on Dorothy Day's philosophy: um, seeing the homeless uh, with dignity. Mm -hmm. That is, I'm. I would have to to guess that is one of the things that you're robbed of almost immediately when you encounter 
a situation where, and I'm talking from the perspective of someone who's become homeless or maybe is homeless for the first time, is you're a, you're robbed of your dignity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, we talked to so many families who have been living in their car for mm-hmm. a week, two weeks, three months, you know, and they feel um, nobody wants them, nobody cares, nobody. Yeah. It's really very difficult, and even sometimes after they move into the Dorothy Day house, because they've been in their car so long they feel like they need to be on the move. It's hard for them to adjust to having a door to open and a door to shut and a bed to be in, you know. We had a little boy here who slept in his coat for months and the house manager kept saying, I can't figure out why he's sleeping in his coat. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was his safe place, was his coat. He, he knew that's how he had slept in his car for so long. So, you know, just helping them through that trauma is um, is a big part of what we do. And and we're not social workers. We don't pretend to be social workers. We're just, Dorothy Day said people should take care of people. So that's who we are. We're just people. Um, that background has nothing to do with social service. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway. So, um, we purposely get big stoves. They each have their own storage um, so that they, they, for the most part, buy their own food. Their own food stamps, most of them are. So, And if they're not, then we provide food, whatever food they need. Then there's a playroom in each house. And uh, the playroom always has at least two computers so that Parents can look for jobs, do job applications, and kids can do homework. So, and all the furniture in this house was donated by individuals. And then uh, every house has a house manager's office. This one has it. <laughs> this must be waiting for a baby. It is. This is Beth Ryan. Hi. Beth is the house manager here. So your baby is due the 23rd? Yes. Mm-hmm. She already has another one, don't you? Yes. Halo's here with her Yeah, baby. we have a four-month-old, and then we'll have a newborn. <laughs> anyway. So, and we just, you know, all the furniture comes from different people, and we just mix it all up. We named this house after Loretta Garland. Loretta was living in the house on Poplar with her house. teenage son, and um, she left for the weekend to go be with her daughter while she had her baby. And they were sitting up at night talking after the baby was born. And she had a stroke and died. She was 52 years old. Mm-hmm. She was just the most wonderful mother just suffering terribly because she was homeless. She had worked at the uh, Tupperware factory in Covington, and she said, I was there 20 years and went to work one day and the door was locked. That was it, nothing, no severance, nothing. Just the door was locked. And I told that story shortly after that at a meeting, and there was a man at the meeting and he said, I know that's true because the guy who owned that factory was my friend and he did that, <laughs> he said. But anyway, she she died right there on the spot in front of her daughter. Um, so I said to the board when she died, I said, our second house is going to be named after Loretta. She was a, just an unbelievable mother. So making it through homelessness. You're immediately providing a safe place. Yeah. Um, I mean, I even get the sense, I, I got the sense just walking in here today that this is a place of, of comfort and warmth. Um, somehow I could already sense the, the caring. Sure. You know? Um, and again, I'm just so, as I try to put myself in the place of someone who has encountered that, that, that Again, I keep coming back to the term dignity. Um, pain, 
trauma, you mentioned the word mm-hmm. trauma. Um, what kind of resources? Uh, do, you, do you help families with resources as we well? We do, yeah. sure. Yeah. We provide all the basic stuff they need. Mm-hmm. So food, clothing, shoes, mm-hmm. haircuts, school supplies, school uniforms, anything basic that they need, we take care of. Um, most of that comes through what we refer to as in-kind donations from Memphians. We get um, mm-hmm. boxes and boxes from Amazon every day from people who have ordered stuff that they know we need. Yeah. Um, occasionally we'll buy uh, special uniforms if people get jobs and they need special uniforms or special shoes or whatever. But for the most part, most of what we give out is really given to us. and so. We serve as the conduit to get these to homeless families. Um, and then in, a, in addition, while, while we're doing that, while we're getting the kids back into school, because many homeless kids don't go to school, um, while we're getting the family settled, then we also do help with job searches and you know, help them figure out a way to do transportation and, and all of that. We, we just really surround them with whatever support they need in order to get back to normal life again. Sometimes um, we have families come who have um, delayed medical care because they mm-hmm. were so concerned about oh, yeah. other things in life. They right. just they couldn't think about medical care or dental care or uh, glasses or, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. Um, and our house managers help them figure all that out get the services they need and you know get them to where they're ready to be on their own again yeah so the the housing services you provide then is really designed to be temporary it is yeah most of our families stay five to six months um, we're working diligently right now to get that down to about four months we'd like to th- we've kind of ramped up our services a bit helping that hoping that we can make that time shorter. Um, In 2021, we served 25 families in our three houses, and um, we'd like to, uh, we'll make that this year, we'd like to think it might be 30 families, because the faster a family goes through, the faster we can can serve more families. And we're not, um, someone not long ago said, are you ready to open a fourth house? And the answer is no. Or not. Uh Uh, Eight families at a time is a lot. I mean, most families come without pocket change. They they are down to the very bottom of life when they come to us. Uh So getting them um, the support and the motivation needed to get back into regular life again and to get their kids back on track with school, it it takes a lot. There's there's no simple way to go from homelessness back into society again. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, eight families. Uh, mm-hmm. We live in a in a region where even just the immediate vicinity of three or four hundred thousand. I'm talking about just you know sure. Memphis metropolitan. The yeah, the city. Um, of course, we go beyond that. We're over a million, but um, there must be a challenging but rigorous screening process. There is. Yeah. We do. Um, well, first of all, I'll tell you that I turned away 15 families on Friday. So we're turning away, I think, easily 30 to 35 families every week who are looking for help. And we, I mean, we simply can't do it, that's all. Right. We, we encourage them to call other shelters and try other avenues, but um, we can only do what we can do, and we have to be comfortable with that and knowing. And we don't do emergency shelter. We don't, like if somebody comes to the door and says, I need a bed to sleep in, we don't do emergency shelter. That's not who we are. Yeah. So um, most, most referrals, Families call us themselves, or maybe a church will call, or a school, or the sheriff's office, or the mayor's office, or 
MIFA. If MIFA can't take care of a family, they'll call us. Mm -hmm. uh, we sometimes get calls from St. Jude because they have Memphis families who need housing. Um, so once we get the phone call, we talk to the family directly and do just a basic interview, just a few questions to figure out how large is the family, what are the ages of the children, um, do they have transportation, does anybody have a job, do they uh, have any support system at all, or are they completely alone in this homelessness. Yeah. Um, just enough that we can get a feel for what the family's like. And then we set up, if we have space available for that size family, then we set up um, an interview process within 24 hours. Sometimes it's within two hours. I mean, the faster we can get them in, the faster we do it, because um, most of them are in pretty dire circumstances. In the longer interview, we talk about what kind of education do they have, which will help us to know what kind of job they can get. Mm -hmm. um, where are their kids in school? How are their kids doing in school? Do they have any medical issues that haven't been handled? Um, if it's a woman by herself, is the, is the father of the children supporting her at all? Does she have any kind of support system? Um, we talk about drug and alcohol use in the past. We talk about mental illness, just, just to get a feel for the family. Um, and then if that interview goes okay, and we think we can help them, then uh, all the adults in the family are sent for a drug test and a background check. Mm -hmm. And we do that because we don't live in the Dorothy Day house. Um, I go home at night, and so does my staff. Everybody goes home. Yeah. And the families are left in the houses unsupervised. Mm -hmm. we, we want it to feel like their home. Right. And so we just leave. Mm -hmm. which means that we're responsible that everybody in the house feels safe. So the drug test and the background check, has it's, it's worth it for us to know that everybody's safe. We've now begun to require COVID vaccinations. We didn't for a long time, and then we finally got to the point where we said, we just feel like this is really important to keep both the staff and the families safe. Um, once they've passed the background check and the drug test, they usually move in within a few hours. So it can be, depending upon how long it takes those tests to come back, it can be two days before they move in, it can be six or seven days, it just depends upon the testing process. Um, when they move in, the house manager goes through what we refer to as the covenant which is basic household rules that your mother and mine would have made a sign if they only could have. Um, mm -hmm. You know, no drugs, no alcohol. There is a curfew they have to be in. Um, every family takes care of their own children, their own cooking, their own cleaning. It's, it's nothing strange. It's just basic household rules yeah. so that everybody gets along together. Yeah. So, and then once they move in, the house managers, and there's one in each house, the house managers really begin the work of helping them to get back on track again. And that's everything from getting the kids in school to figuring out tutors for kids, uh, figuring out medical things that need to be taken care of, uh, finding out what kind of education a person has had. If they haven't finished high school, we often encourage them to get their GED and we help them through that process. Or if they're interested in um, some other career path that they need special training for, sometimes we have uh, donors who can help us pay for some of that. So yeah. we just, every family's different. There's no, never met two alike, <laughs> ever. Yeah. I would imagine for these families, especially I would imagine the, the parents, uh, there must be a sense of relief to be, yeah, accepted. We hope so. Yeah. Um, probably the saddest thing is when you come across a parent that has two, three, four children, but they don't have the motivation to make it work. 
-hmm. you know. They are thrilled to have a bed, and they're happy to have a stove to cook on, <laughs> but when it comes to doing the work of going to work or being up and, you know, some people just don't have the motivation. Even with children, they just don't have the motivation. Mm -hmm. And as hard as that is for us, we ask those people to leave because I've made a commitment to donors that their money will be used for families who are really trying to get back on their feet again. Yeah. And if I happen on someone who really just wants a nice place to live, well, we don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> we just yeah. don't. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can't. And I turned away 15 families, so I right. know that within 12 hours, I can have another family in that room who is willing to work and who is desperate for help. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's hard to ask somebody to leave, and most of the time they're not very happy when I do that, but that's part of that's part of the deal. Yeah, so. yeah. They have to, we always say, I say to the staff, they have to, the families have to want it more than we want it. If they don't want it at least that much and more, it won't work because right. we can't make anybody do anything, so. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I want to mention the organization's inspiration. There's a quote, uh, and I, I sat on that quote, and I read it a few times. I, I really do love it. Do you know the quote I'm referring to? Food for the body is not uh, enough. There must be food for the soul. Sure. Yeah. Um, how does that quote and that inspiration play out? Well, I hope what the families see is that, yes, we provide food for the body, but I hope um, the care and concern that the staff members have for each of them is the food for the soul. I think um, nobody on the staff sees this as a job. Um, no one even sees it as a social service. Um, I think we all feel called to this connection. Um, at, you know, as Dorothy Day said, the mystery of the poor is they are Jesus, and what you do for them, you do for Him. Yeah. We never proselytize. We just don't. I don't believe in it. I think they should be able to meet Jesus by the way we treat them, not by what we say. Yeah. So um, we have staff members from a variety of religious backgrounds, and um, I think the care and concern we give is the food for their souls, and hopefully they catch that. I think most of them do. Yeah, yeah. I don't believe in paperwork. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds a little dangerous, but so many agencies that we deal with in the government, we, and we don't take government money. We're funded privately and by corporations. We don't take government money. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the reason is I don't believe in paperwork. I just think our time is better spent working with people face-to-face -face and being present to them face-to-face. -face. I don't believe in filling out a form to put in a file cabinet. I, I just don't. and so. Um, that makes me a little strange, I know, and it, you know, people say, but, you know, don't, we keep minimal paperwork. We know who's been here, we know when they were here, yeah. uh, we know where they went when they left, but we really don't, uh, we don't fill out forms just to fill out forms. Uh, we just don't believe in it. Yeah. That sounds like a welcome <laughs> <laughs> My staff idea to loves me. It. <laughs> yeah. Some of them have come from other agencies where you know, they've had to do a lot of paperwork and hated every bit of, the, bit of it. I just don't believe in it. I don't think Dorothy, I, I know Dorothy Day never did paperwork. Uh, her approach really was people taking care of people, and that's the bottom line. And that's, that's the most important thing we do. So um, we, we just don't focus on keeping records. Yeah, yeah. So before we talk about the September 9th and 10th fundraiser, before we get into that, um, 
Is there anything, um, anything you want to add before we move on to that topic? Only that I wish there was a way we could make more Memphians aware of homelessness and families. Um, as I said, I've never had, at least not very many people have ever turned me away when I've tried to tell the story. Um, so many churches are looking for causes. So many organizations are looking for a way to make a difference. And um, supporting a, an organization like the Dorothy Day House, that's really small. I mean, in comparison to other organizations, we're still pretty small. But we've been around 16 years, which is, uh, you know, we've, we've paid our dues in yeah. terms of getting formed and all of that. Um, I, I guess I would just wish that more people would be aware of the plight of homeless families and would find a way to help us solve that problem. Now, I, I need to say that there is now one more shelter in the city that will take husbands and wives and will take teenage boys. They opened a year ago. So for the first 15, 16 years of our existence, we were the only ones in the city taking care of, of that population. But now there is at least another agency. So we're glad for that. Uh, and hoping that there will be more to, you know, to come in the future. Yeah, that actually leads me to a couple other questions. One is um, not just awareness of homelessness, but um, you've you mentioned the word dignity, and you know, kind of the uh, uh, one, in order to dignify, um, there must be a sense of empathy. Do you see in today's world, especially the last two and a half to three years, a waning or a lack of empathy? In general, yes. But, you know, when you put a face on people, um, it's just amazing what happens. I mean, I can sit at a table with 15 or 16 people and tell a story of one family and and I can see tears I mean people are so once they see the face I mean they don't even have to see the literal face if I can make that family story come alive um, people have the generosity and have the empathy to help yeah in general I think you're right people you know are a bit more skeptical about stuff. But, you know, I talk about a, a husband and wife who were living in their car for three months with their 14-month-old. And when we interviewed her, she said to me, I am 36 weeks, no, excuse me, 39 weeks and six days pregnant. You know, there's something about that story that is going to pull you in if you have any kind of sympathy or empathy in your heart. So um, I think it's putting a face on the homeless that mm -hmm. makes the difference. And, yeah. I, and that's really what we try to do. We try not to exploit them. We don't publish pictures with names. We don't uh, tell stories with names attached to them. But we do try to make it as personal as we can. Yeah. How much of a uptick did you see beginning probably, I would, I would have to say, somewhere mid-pandemic era, somewhere in the middle of 2020? It's been a constant rise. Every, every month we see more and more and hear more stories. Yeah, it's been constant. Yeah. We never closed down in the pandemic. We, we had eight families at the time and I, you know, I thought to myself, how do you put eight families on the street? We can't close. There was no way. So we adjusted our staff schedules and um, adjusted, you know, our requirements in the houses in terms of quarantining and all that. But we, we stayed open. We, I just thought we have to. We don't have any option. So, um, but it, the number of calls that we're getting is it's just continuing to grow. It's just, it's just overwhelming yeah. to, to tell that many people on a single day that you don't have any space. It's and it, I would imagine it's got to be heartbreaking at the same time. It is. Yeah. It's very heartbreaking because yeah. they, 
call and they're already in tears because they've called every other agency in the city and nobody can help them. Yeah. Um, but we can only do what we can do. So yeah. we have to focus on that and, and uh, hope again that we can raise awareness so that other people will start doing something as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, we're probably going to see even more of an increase because none of some of the eviction moratoriums are running out. Um, oh, and that's another piece <laughs> because uh -huh. part of what we do is we help them find jobs, first of all, and then once they've saved enough, we try to get them into housing. Well, if you've been evicted, it is almost impossible to find housing. It, it, they say, statistically, Memphis is 38,000 low-income apartments short. 38,000 low-income apartments short. Okay, so if you're a low-income person and you've been evicted, nobody wants to talk to you. I mean, that landlords want to talk to people who have stellar rental histories. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes we have people who have never had a rental history. They've, they've never lived on their own. So we try to get them and their kids into it. Nobody wants to run to them because they don't have a rental history. Yeah. Or maybe they have um, gone through some hard times and don't have a credit score that's, you know, exemplary. Landlords don't want to talk to those people. So we're struggling. I think, I think the struggle to find housing is the latest that we've come upon. Uh, we, have, we have families who are ready to move out, who have steady employment, who have proven that they can do it, and we can't find, we can't find places for them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I again, don't mean to be discouraged. Well, I know, but again, you, you focus on what you can do. Sure. <laughs> if you focus on what you can't do, I'm sure it would be difficult to get out of bed every day. But um, yeah, focus on what you can do. Yeah. And every now and then you find a new developer or a landlord who is willing to take a risk, you know, who's willing to say, well, I know they're connected with the Dorothy Day House and the Dorothy Day House wouldn't do me in, you know, so uh, we're really looking, actively looking for landlords and developers who would talk to us about partnering. Um, we, we would even like to guarantee some rent if necessary so that our families can move on. They, mm -hmm. They're ready to go and, and we can't find a place for them that makes it really difficult. Yeah, it, it, it's almost, I mean, not to put uh, ideas in anyone's heads, but I mean, it almost becomes a sort of referral. It is. Yeah. 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 By the time they finished with us, They've had a background check and a drug test. Yeah. They've lived in our house for five or six months. We know them. We've seen them day in and day out. We've worked with them individually. Um, so by the time they get to the end of it, for most of them, we would be glad to, mm -hmm. to uh, guarantee rent because we certainly don't expect to ever have to pay it. You know, we're, we think they're going to be solid and stable. Yeah. Um, but if it takes our guarantee to make a landlord comfortable, we'll be glad to do that. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna pause one sec. Okay. And, um, you all right? I'm fine. Okay, yeah, me too. <laughs> we are still there, hi. Well, no, no, I just, uh, you know, honestly, I don't, I'm not always at every interview, but but since I've just started recently working with the Dorothy Day House, I just thought, it's just good for me to hear you say, oh, sure. I'm building in the knowledge <laughs> that they'll circulate. Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's talk about this fundraiser. So you have an annual fundraiser. We do. And we have several. Several. <laughs> I, I would have to, yeah, I would have to imagine. This one coming up September 9th and 10th. Let, let's talk about that. What, what's, what's, it, what's it called? This is, it's called Dinner with Dorothy. Um, Dorothy was all about family and about community 
and about bringing people together. And so when we began talking about a fundraiser, especially during the pandemic, we thought it was important to do something that would bring families together around their own table and that might encourage um, people to invite neighbors, and friends, and co-workers to join together. So um, we have established this as, as an annual fundraiser. The meal is being prepared this year by Coletta's. It will be lasagna and salad from Coletta's and then bread and cookies from Lucy J's Bakery. Yeah. And um, people can go to our website and order their meal. A meal for four to six people is $90, and a meal for eight to 10 is $150. So it's a great way, just even if you just want to have it for your own family and get a dinner from Coletta's um, to order it and then pick it up from Coletta's, we'll have pickup dates. And then during the dinner, you will have a link for um, for a video that we've done with several of our families telling their stories. And uh, with my explanation of the seven new initiatives that the Dorothy Day Board has adopted for 2022 to 2026, it's our plan for this next five years. So we're talking about it a little on the edges of life right now, but uh, Dinner with Dorothy will really launch that new set of initiatives. Yeah. So for our listeners, they, we should be clear that they're having dinner in their own, own homes. They right? are. Yeah, yeah. I love that idea. We were, before we got started, we were talking about this a bit. And you know, um, there's been ideas in the past of doing big galas and whatnot. And, and this was a little bit of a byproduct of the pandemic. Right? Look, it was yeah. indeed. Mm-hmm. However, I've always been opposed to a gala. Um, I read Dorothy Day pretty consistently and there is nothing about Dorothy Day that would fit into the mold of a gala. It just wouldn't. She just was the simplest person. She was, um, she just was. That's who she was. And so it just seemed that we needed to do something that was more in her spirit. And this really fits that perfectly because it, it draws families together and at the same time gives us an opportunity to give some more information about the Dorothy Day House and its future. Yeah. So, uh, connect, in connection with that dinner, we're also having an auction. And um, listeners can go to our website between September 7th and September 14th to get the link to the auction. They've got some great stuff and uh, we hope people will take advantage of that as well. Yeah. What a great way to, just a great way to raise awareness, a great way in the spirit of Dorothy Day's inspiration, what a great way to bring families together mm-hmm. for a common cause. Really, really wonderful. I just, I just love that. And who doesn't like Coletta's, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Lucy That's exactly right. Last year we did it ourselves. We made the lasagna and we decided that that wasn't a good idea, oh so <laughs> we decided Coletta's would do a much... Everybody loved what we did, but we just decided Coletta's would be better. <laughs> so, And I think we also have to mention we have a number of sponsors, people who have... Um, companies who have stepped up to help us sponsor this fundraiser, so uh, we're very grateful for their support as well. And all of their logos are on our website, and you can see all of that. Yeah. So once again, for more information, listeners can go to www.dorothydaymemphis.org. That'll get you there. And, and there's more information about our history, about how to volunteer, about our, just our needs. There's a, a link to sign up for our monthly e-newsletter that yeah. comes out. Um, just spot for donations spots for donations yeah. always spots for donations so yeah. we're we're very very grateful because the memphis community has been very generous and um, we just finished a five million dollar capital campaign and 53 percent of that five million dollars 
came from individuals, which is really unusual in the fundraising world. Um, we had some great foundations and corporations that helped us, but um, more importantly are the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who have decided that they want to do something about homelessness. They don't want to give it on the street, but they will send us $5 a month or $20 a month or $200 a month, whatever. Yeah. That's, that's the real core of what's happening and how we're right. making it happen. Yeah. So, at Homes Across Memphis, Dinner with Dorothy, September 9th and 10th, 10th, 2022. And you can do it. You can pick up your meal on Friday or Saturday, and you can do it whenever you want to do it. Right. You don't have to do it at a specific time. Uh -huh. Whatever whatever schedule works for your family life, is it's up to you. Yeah. And then, um, uh, once again, also the online auction beginning on September 7th. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Sister Maureen, thank you for thank sitting you. down today. <laughs> sure. It's um, it, it has been an inspiration, and also, um, gosh, a little a little on the emotional side, I must sure. say. Sure. But yeah, thank you. Thank you're you. welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. We appreciate it. For more information on Dorothy Dayhouse and the September 9 and 10 Dinner with Dorothy fundraiser, visit DorothyDayMemphis.org. This has been your host, Mark Fleischer, thanking my guest today, Sister Maureen Greiner, and for the invitation to record in Loretta's house. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Vance Durbin, to the Memphis Public Libraries and the Memphis Library Foundation for their support, and to you supporters and listeners of FM 89.3 WIPL. We invite you to join us next time for another episode of Storyboard 30 for more conversations with Memphis personalities dedicated to making a difference here in the Bluff City. Memphis, make it a great week. Mm -hmm.